And welcome to another episode of Battleground Florida. I am Christopher Heath coming to you from the Parish Medical Center podcast studio here in sunny, beautiful Orlando, Florida. We're talking polls today, and our guest is going to be Doug Kaplan of Gravis Marketing. And before we get into the interview, um, I want to go over a couple of things about polling in general. And one of the things I hear all the time about polling is that the polls blew it in 2016, that the polls were completely off in 2016, and some of the state-by-state polls were not great. Wisconsin, Michigan, some of these states, really, the polls were not fantastic there. They said that, you know, Clinton was going to win and then Trump ends up winning. But if you look at a lot of the other ones, and this is where I like to push back on people and say, the polls actually did a pretty decent job. Florida, right where we're at right now, The final average of polls had Trump up by four-tenths of a point. He won the state by 1.2 percentage points. That is well within the margin of error. If you jump over to North Carolina, another state that Trump carried, it had him, the average of polls down the stretch had him up by eight-tenths of a percentage point. He ends up winning by 3.6 percentage points. That is also right at the margin of error. And one more to go out and look at is Michigan. Now, that one had Clinton up. That was one that was not a fantastic state, but it was right at the margin of error. She was up by about 3.6 percentage points. Trump wins by three-tenths of a percentage point. So right at that margin of error. Overall, though, if you look at the national election across the board, and granted, yes, we do not pick the president based on the popular vote. It is the Electoral College, so you can almost kind of toss that out the window, but it's still something that people looked at. The final average of polls came in at 3.3 percentage points with Clinton winning. She ended up carrying the popular vote by 2.1 percentage points. Now, again, that's not how we pick the president of the United States. We use the Electoral College, but that is still a poll that people look at. And once again, it is a poll that, for the most part, was right. Now, that is not to say that polling doesn't have its problems. There are states that go way under-polled. We don't do enough polling in those states. There are also those of us in the media. Listen, we're partly guilty of this, too. We will focus on one poll. You know, Quinnipiac puts out a, a poll or Marist puts out a poll, and we, we run with it as if it's one thing by itself, whereas the better thing to do is to take an aggregate, to take all of them and look at it as a group. So Doug is somebody who's been in this for a long time knows the polling industry, knows some of the challenges facing it and some of the perceptions out there. So we talk quite a bit about not just what the industry's doing, what he's up to, and also some of the challenges. It gets a little wonky there. It's a cell phone call, so you know the audio is going to have a couple of little hiccups in it. So go through it with me. I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you learn something a little bit about kind of how, how we in the political coverage industry view this and how we work with pollsters and how we take some of the information they've gotten, hopefully bring it to you so that we get a better idea of what the public is thinking, what the voters are thinking, and can kind of get a feel for not just elections, but how policies are being shaped and how, how politicians are really defining those policies. Doug, really, thank you for being here. And uh, before we get into anything else, I know Gravis just put out a poll on New Hampshire. That is the first primary. The second, though, to to cast votes, we'll have the Iowa caucuses. Then we have New Hampshire. And your poll, I'm going to kind of jump into your numbers here. Um, you You have Bernie Sanders leading over Joe Biden, but there's a red flag there, and that is this. Four years ago, he won New Hampshire going away. It is really close there now. This this could change the race if, the, if this poll plays out with how people end up voting in New Hampshire. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
New Hampshire's anyone's game. Um, right now you have uh, Sanders winning, but he's only winning by about 6%. Um, and the race is very close. Uh, you could have one of four people really win New Hampshire, which will propel them into Nevada and South Carolina. But the electorate is so much different in New Hampshire than it is in South Carolina, in Nevada. Nevada has a much greater Hispanic population than New Hampshire. Uh, South Carolina has a, has a much greater African-American population. This is really the core of Joe Biden's support. I think his campaign is looking at those two states as being very strong states for him. If he does have a weakness, it is in the New England region. But at the same time, if Sanders can only squeak out a victory there or he loses New Hampshire, that's going to raise a lot of red flags about his candidacy vis-a-vis the way it looked four years ago. Oh, absolutely. And he has some problems in Iowa as well. Uh, you see Harris and um, Warren doing pretty well there. So it'll be interesting to see how those two states play out um, on the Democratic side. Now, you've been doing polling for quite a while, and I want to get into this idea that polling has become much more difficult over the years. Uh, it used to be landlines. You could pick somebody up on the phone, and you call them, and they'd answer the phone. You know, caller ID means people could filter that out a little bit more. Now you got people like myself who don't have a landline. It's all cell phones, and people will ignore calls. How much harder has it become to be a pollster in this modern digital era where people can ignore phone calls, or maybe they only respond to stuff online? It's gotten much harder. Um, the response has has been lowered significantly. Um, you have to do a mixed mode scenario, meaning calling landlines, um, and you might have to do some internet internet responses or calling uh, cell phones directly. Um, so the costs have gone up, the responses have, have gone up, um, and it's harder to reach people. When you do finally reach somebody, and that and that gets to be you want to get some information out of them. You have to frame the questions. You have to ask them certain things and try and really delve into how they're feeling. But you do know that response rate is low. How hard is it then to wait out and say, okay, hold on, I only got this many people. I have to extrapolate that out. And that's then going to tell me something that I can take, I can take and I can present to people and say, here's a number I feel solid about. Yeah, I mean, once people answer the phone, it's not such a, it's not such a problem. The issue is, is getting people to um, answer the phone. So you have to call a lot more people. The costs go up. Um, it's also harder to reach um, certain subgroups of people, uh, such as younger people, um, minorities, um, um, groups like that. When you do get people on the phone, it goes back to, to, to what is referred to in the industry as the Bradley effect, which is basically it goes back to this idea that there are people who will tell a pollster one thing and then they do something completely different. And they, they will tell a pollster, oh, I'm absolutely going to vote for this person. And then when, when they finally get into the voting booth, they don't vote that way. Um, this is, of course, after you know Tom Bradley, who ran for the mayor of Los Angeles. He was an African-American. People kept telling pollsters, I'm going to vote for him. And then he lost the election. And what we discovered out of that was that a lot of people will 
either lie to pollsters or they'll tell pollsters what they want to hear. Is there any way around that? Because we did see some of that in 2016 with what they called the shy Trump voter. And these are people who would tell, you know, pollsters they're undecided or, you know, they may or may not vote or they were leaning towards Trump, but they weren't 100 percent in that camp. And then on Election Day, they showed up and they voted in pretty hefty numbers in certain places and really propelled him to a win. Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I think what what we've realized uh, since then is education is such a big deal. Um, groups, depending on how they're educated, vote differently, and it wasn't always it, that wasn't always the case. So, weighting the polls based on education has been become a must uh, since 2016, and you saw the polls in 2018 were nearly perfect. And I think that in 2020, I, I, I think you'll reduce a lot of the problems that we had in 2016. When you get a bigger number of people out there, and that is to say, it's hard to poll a congressional district. It's easier to poll a state. It's even easier to poll the entire country because you've got such a huge sample size out there. This gets into something of 2016 that I always kind of cringe when I hear people say, well, the polls got it wrong. The national polls were dead on. The national polls, in aggregate, had Hillary Clinton winning nationally by about three percentage points. She carried the popular vote by about two and a half to three percentage points, but we don't pick the president that way. We pick it through the Electoral College. Now, some state polls were a little wonky in certain places, but for the most part, the ones that even Florida were within the margin of error. So you start to say, okay, is there a perception out there that polls are inaccurate or is it just get harder and harder, the smaller and smaller groups you have to then delve into because the, the, the response rate has gone down? Yes. A big thing that happened in 2015 is, one, when pollsters weighted their polls, and you always have to weight the polls based on demographics, education, race, gender, um, and party. Uh, they didn't. They didn't wait by uh, by education. So you, you saw, and, and why that hurt? You saw such a big differential between white college educated um, um, people versus people that had little or or no educate college education, and it was a twenty to thirty point differential there. So that was that was the first issue that happened. The second. Thing that happened was that in the states of Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, he didn't have a ton of polls. So he didn't have a ton of polls to average them, average them out, and the polls were all over the place in those states. Um, and what you saw is you saw a really close race. You saw Clinton win the national vote, but she lost those three states. Nobody cares if, perfect example, if California, if you poll California in a presidential election, and I don't know why you would, we all know which way it's going to go, and the poll comes back and says that the Democrat is going to win by 20 points, and then the Democrat wins by 18 or wins by 24, nobody cares because you've blown out the margin either way. It doesn't matter. When it starts to matter is that a Florida poll says that, a perfect example, it said that Andrew, in most polls showed Andrew Gillum winning the gubernatorial election in 2018 by about a point or two, maybe three. And then Ron DeSantis wins by about a point, not quite. That's a razor thin margin. But people hammer in on that because it said one guy was going to win and then the other guy won, even though the margin of error covered both. Right. Margin of error means 
if you see a poll, if you see the race tied and the margin of error is three points, it's still three points either way. And so you have to read the polls like that. And people have a bias on reading polls how they want to read them. And you have to factor in the margin of error. So the polls were right in 2018. As a pollster, if you put out a poll, and your New Hampshire poll, for example, it shows Bernie Sanders with a slight lead, followed by Biden and then Warren. If you put out that poll, and then the same weekend, two more pollsters come out with polls that show Warren up by like 25 points in both of them, do you have a tendency to maybe start questioning your methodology? Or do you start to say, maybe they've got something wrong that I'm onto and I'm right? I mean, how hard is it to not fall into that herd mentality of, all of the polls are zigging. I've got a zig as well. Yeah, well, you definitely, listen, you definitely want to double check your numbers and, 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 and be confident in your methodology. Um, and, you know, look, 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 look at based in your current and past history in those states. And sometimes polls are wrong. You know, one out of 10 polls are going to be completely wrong. Um, and so, so, you know, you just have to just, just be confident in, in, in your, your, um, your methodology and you know, see what the results are. When, you come to, when it comes time to do what we're doing now, which is the, the primary polling, caucus polling, you're in, the, you're in a season where you've reduced that universe of voters even more. Um, Florida, for example, you know, a third of the people out there during primary season, you can't it's no, there's no point in polling them because they can't vote in the primaries. These are NPAs and people that do not affiliate with either the Republican or Democratic Party. And because it's a closed primary state, those people can't vote. You look at Iowa, for example, you've, you've lowered that universe of voters just to the Democrats. And now you have to find the people who are going to give up that afternoon to go caucus. And caucusing, if you've ever gone to a caucus, takes forever. You are sacrificing your evening. So you're looking at a sample size within a sample size within a sample size. And I know Iowa this year has virtual caucusing, which would be weighted differently. That's got to make it so much harder for people like you and pollsters who want to go into Iowa and and kind of get a temperature because not only do you have to find out what people are after, but you've got to find out, are these the kind of people who are going to sacrifice an evening to go caucus for their candidate, something that's going to have them tied up in the high school gymnasium for three, four hours? Yeah. And, and that's, that's why, as a um, you know, someone who's if you're a consumer of polls, if you look at the averages of polls, that's really the best thing to do. Instead of finding or cherry picking one poll, you look at the averages of eight to ten polls, and you see you you know you, you see what the results are. They tend to trend based on what the averages are. One and, um, go, ahead. go ahead. And, you know, in a, in a caucus state, it's going to be real hard because it's going to be such a small percentage of people are going to vote. You know, you're dealing with a place like Iowa where it's very, very cold. You could have 20 inches of snow on the ground, which could change it. I think this year they're going to have telephone voting, which that that's a factor. So all these different things happen. So primaries and caucuses are much different. And uh, uh, typically caucus uh, states are, are much harder to pull. They're not only harder to pull, but it's also you have to try and find the people who are going to be those voters. Um, and, and in a caucus state, you can have a first or second choice. And so you go in and you say, well, who's your first choice? Oh, my first choice is Elizabeth Warren. Well, who's your second choice? Uh, Joe Biden. 
or, or vice versa, you know, they could then get in there and the room starts moving in one direction and they change their mind. Now, all of a sudden, the data you've collected kind of almost goes out the window because there is so much fluidity. It's not as simple as going in and just checking a box as you would in a general election or in, in, a, in a more customary primary situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of that depends on the, the ground game of the campaign, you know, how they're pushing people to vote and second choice and all that. A ground game in Iowa, and we'll, we'll get off of Iowa in half a second, but it is the first one to come up. I mean, go back to Iowa, the GOP side, Rick Santorum wins in Iowa. Um, in 2016, you'll remember that uh, Ted Cruz's campaign came in and just decimated Donald Trump. And they did they did that because they knew how to play the caucus game. They knew how to position people, how to get people in the right place. They knew how to block and tackle. The Trump campaign really had not gotten that figured out quite yet. They learned as they went, but Ted Cruz got a big victory that night simply because he knew how to work the system. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people when we start talking about Iowa versus some of these other early primary states. Oh, and bear in mind, California votes really early this year. And I, I, if I remember my dates correctly, early voting for the primary in California will begin at about the same time as the Iowa caucuses. Now, we won't get the whole vote for much later, but you can kind of see there where having a campaign that knows what it's doing can really change the outcome of that, of that caucus, of that, and, and throw a lot of these polls kind of out the window. So when we're when we look back at polls, and, and I'm, I'm sure you do this with the ones that Gravis has done, do you go back and look at them and the ones that you got right? Do you say how did how did we get this right? And the ones that you get wrong, do you say okay, where were we wrong? Did we wait? Did we wait uh, white males age 45 and older too heavy? Did we wait uh, college educated females under 25 too low? I mean, how much of that do you do after the fact to kind of Monday morning quarterback your own polling? <laughs> Yeah, we definitely do all that. You know, any, any polls that were outside of the margin of error, we definitely do. You know, do look at where we were wrong and, um, and 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 try to fix it for next time. Because a lot of it is an estimate of who's going to vote. You know, you don't necessarily know who's going to vote, what the exact demographics are going to be. Um, and, and you know, if it if it changes by half a percent or one percent, it can change everything. When you do see one of these abnormalities, you see a poll that was wildly off. What is it? What What does it tend to be? Is it different every single time, or is it always kind of man, we 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 really undercounted this one group? Yes, a lot of it is you you, you undercounted um, one group, or it's just it happens. You know, like one out of ten polls statistically are going to be off. So sometimes you just you're off. Okay, you, 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 have, you might have seven or eight polls. You're within the margin of error, and you have a poll or two that you're not. And I know for and I know for pollsters, you guys like for those of us in the media to write about and do stories about your one specific poll. But I mean, let's be honest: the better evidence out there is always going to be if you take a if you take a conglomeration, you take six or seven polls that were all taken at about the same time and look at them, that really gives you the better kind of feeling, even though maybe, you know, not all the headlines go to one pollster, but that gives the public a better idea of what's happening because you do, you've now got several different people taking their own individual snapshot of that election. Yeah, like I said earlier, definitely. And uh, it's like the real clear politics averages generally work very, very well. 
and uh, usually um, they're spot on to where the results will be. I want to get into a couple quick um, wonky things about polls. The difference between a registered voter and a likely voter as, as it applies to what you do. Sure. So registered voter is you're calling all voters and um, you know that's what counts in the poll. Likely voter is you're screening them. You're asking them how likely they are to vote. And you're only counting people who say they are going to vote. There are, there, I, I know we talk sometimes about what gets referred to as kind of super voters. And these are people who you can go back and say they have voted in every single election for like the last three cycles. How much do you, do you ever weight that into it and say, OK, I found a super voter who told me they're going to be voting for Donald Trump. This is a person who has shown a propensity to show up every single election. If they say they're voting, you can bank that vote. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a voter, if you're going to do that, that's, that's, that's completely different. You know, that's, that's calling people based on voter history. So it depends, depends on the method that you're doing it, if it's a live call or an automated call um, or, or, a web, or a web response. But what you're looking for is, you know, people saying, you know, people self-identifying how, how likely they are to vote. Um, you generally give them six responses. It's somewhat likely, very likely, very unlikely, you know, so forth. Is, is, is online getting more reliable than it used to be? Is, is that becoming an easier way? It's obviously an easier way to reach more people, but is it becoming more reliable than it, what it had been? Or are we, still, are we still trying to go for that gold standard of getting somebody to actually physically pick up the phone and talk to you? Yeah, it has its problems, but yeah, it is becoming more reliable, and it works very well with, and that's what we, you know, we do at Graphics Marketing. We do online polls with, with, with um, phone polls, so we combine them. Combining them gives you, I guess, a better feel for not only talking to the person, but also, you know, what that online, because online somebody may be willing to answer questions that if you get them on the phone, they, they might they might not be as as forthcoming to a, the live person. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, you don't, you don't miss certain subgroups of people and you reach a better percentage of the population. How much more expensive has polling gotten over the last couple of years as you have people that have, have kind of gone off the grid, so to speak, but yet campaigns, companies, everybody still wants to know what the public is thinking, and the easiest way to do that is to go out and take a poll. How much more expensive has that gotten? Yeah, at least double. So when you say double, what, what, if, if I asked for a poll of Florida – I mean, ballpark, what is, what, what is something, what is something like that? I mean, not just for what you, but I mean, in the industry in general, if I'm saying I want to run a poll of the gubernatorial election in Florida, you know, what would, what would an estimate from any number of pollsters probably come out to be? Depending on the method you use, you know, if it's online or phone, you know, thousands, three, three to $10,000. Wow. All right, Doug, I, I appreciate the time. Thank you for all the insight and, and really kind of lifting the veil here of not just how polling works, but kind of some of the challenges out there. And I hope people have taken quite a bit away from this. But thank you for your time. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. All right, Doug has left the building. He was never actually in the building. He was, he was as I said, calling on, a, on his cell phone to call in on this one. But um, I, I do want to thank everybody who has taken time to download some of our, our previous episodes and who has taken the time to give us a 
a, a rating or a written review. We are up on all of the podcast apps. We are up on iTunes. We're up on Google Play, Stitcher. You can find us anywhere. Drop us a rating. Drop us a written review. Tell some of your friends or family about it. And, and really, we I'm, I'm enjoying getting kind of some of that, that feedback that people are giving in. Um, we've got a couple more guests scheduled to come in this week. Those episodes will start populating as we go. I'm trying to do about two of these a week and keep the conversation you know, lively and interesting and along some of the lines that I find interesting. But tell me some of the ideas you want to have out there, some of the guests you'd like to have in, and we'll do what we can to get it. But for now, um, Christopher Heath here for Battleground Florida. We will catch up with you next time.